0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Are you a diehard comic book collector? Or maybe a lapsed fan? Maybe even someone who has never picked up a comic book in their life. Hi, I'm Remso Martinez. And I'm Mark Claire.
1: Every single Wednesday at the Second Print Comics podcast, Remzo and I take a deep dive into the storylines, character arcs, moments, and events that made us the fans we are today.
0: Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are available. Check out more from the Second Print Comics podcast
1: at secondprintcomics.com.
0: Yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. All right, people, we have James Cernoski from Young Voices today discussing the epic battle, no pun intended, between Epic Games and Apple. James is a policy analyst at Libertas Institute, a free market think tank in Utah, where he writes about consumer data privacy, cybersecurity, and technology and innovation issues. His work has been published in Real Clear Future, The Morning Consult, Deseret News, and the Salt Lake Tribune. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Okay, James, I got to admit, I intentionally tried to learn as little about this topic as possible, not because I'm a terrible host, but because it brings up my traumatic memories of being a former GameStop employee. Have, Have you ever worked at GameStop? No, but I definitely bought a lot of games over my years there. Okay, let, let me tell you what it was like being an employee. Most of the time, and I, I, I'm a passive gamer. Like, I think the last couple games I played was, like, Spider-Man for PS4 and Red Dead 2. So we're talking, like, a couple of years. So I'm a passive gamer. But, you know, you take the job when you need the money. And, uh, you know, it was fun. Like, you know, in terms of, like, retail jobs, it wasn't the worst. Uh, you know, the, 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 the getting, like, you know, minimum wage for, like, horrendous hours, it was not fun, but you know, I, I took what I could get, it was happy, it wasn't too demanding, but I gotta tell you man, if I learn to hate anything, it's epic because freaking Fortnite became like the bane of my existence I have really like this th- this vitriolic hatred of that game because p- kids will go ahead and drag in their parents to go ahead and basically use their hard earned money to buy fake money to buy fake clothes for characters Now, I'm not against in-game purchases and app purchases, stuff like that. I've, you know, when, when I was in high school, I bought basically every downloadable skin for Batman when Arkham Asylum was out. I had to play as Adam West. I just had to. So, like, I get it. But, like, the amount of stuff that goes into that game, like, I'm I'm not for video game censorship. I don't want any regulators jumping around telling people what they should be doing with their video games. But when I actually looked at Fortnite for the first time and I saw that the audience was really like that, like, 12 to 17 range where they were really marketing it, I'm like, oh, my God, this is like getting kids addicted to, like, virtual heroin. So when I saw that Epic was getting into a fight with Apple, it's not that I suddenly love Apple, but it's more like Godzilla versus Mechadon. It's like, you know what? Let them fight. Or like King Ghidorah. I'm like, you know who who wins at the end of this? I win. So kind of just fill us in on this. What, what's the suit about and what's the big takeaway that people need to understand when they look at this? Because for me, it's impossible to take an objective stance on it because I hate both companies so much, despite the fact that I'm pulling and trying to mute my iPhone right now so no one disturbs us.
1: <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it's it's a very interesting case, to say the least. So Epic right now has filed an antitrust lawsuit against both Apple and Google. So they're, they're actually going after both companies uh alleging monopolistic behavior because both apple and google removed epic games Fortnite from their app stores uh because epic had did an update to the application that would allow for consumers to basically circumvent uh apple and google's payment processor and just purchase directly from epic
0: oh that's a big uh, no-no
1: yeah so epic got themselves booted off both app stores and they've sued both companies as a result And they're claiming that there are monopolistic practices being done here. They are saying that they're looking at internal documents from Apple where Apple has the iMessage and they don't make it so easy to take iMessage off of the default from Apple, uh, whereas they were able to do this with the App Store. Um, They're also going over the the egregious fees at 30%, uh, which we'll get into a little bit later on, I'm sure. It's not as egregious as they're liking to claim. And and that's basically the core of Epic's argument. You have Apple here exercising uh, a monopoly power because they have exclusivity on their store. There is no ability to really sideload. Uh, the option is basically more or less if you want to develop, either go through the App Store or have a, an Apple or have a game rather that's like able to be played through uh, like Safari or something, uh, which is uh, which is Apple's uh, web browser.
0: Is this available through like through like the Google Store? Like for uh, Well, users? again,
1: the the, the the game itself was available on both application for the App Store for Apple and Google Play for Google, but it got removed from both of those stores because they did oh. that update uh, where they were circumventing the payment processor, right? And so that's why they sued both companies on antitrust grounds. And especially for Apple, because Apple is that walled garden, for sure, because it has that exclusivity. The iOS and the app store and everything's controlled by apple it's kind of part of that whole apple brand of secure and private right and for apple they and google too to an extent they're they're arguing that this is a malicious lawsuit that epic has known about uh this this intention to do this update for some time and that they are doing this just for you know the purposes of starting a fight and using the legal system as a cudgel um and again this it's, it's very interesting, you know, for them, all they're going to argue, too, on, on the flip side is that, well, this commission that these guys are complaining about as if it's so egregious is just standard industry practice anyway. If if Epic has uh, their game listed on PlayStation Store and on the Microsoft Store for Xbox and PlayStation, respectively, they pay a commission of 30 percent to Microsoft and Sony. And they're just saying, hey, we're just doing what everybody else is doing. And we're also developing a product here that consumers want, engage in, feel safe with interacting with. And we've developed a user base that is attractive for developers to gain access to from a market perspective. So yeah, there's going to be a transactional cost to doing that. You can't just get it for free. And that's their accusation about Epic is that Epic is more or less trying to have everything. They want to go and have access to the user markets that these companies have developed. And not have to go and pay these companies that have built up those those user markets and not and not have to pay for it. So it, it's it's it, a very interesting case.
0: Yeah. And I mean it also brings up because when I was at Parler, I, I can talk about this part, but like we had an issue because there used to be a feature called tipping where you could actually go ahead and like send money to each other. So yeah. you could actually tip one account to another. The problem is when you do that, you become like a pseudo-banking operation because you're a money changer. You're, you could you I think under most laws um, you were classified as a money lending service despite the fact that you weren't going through like what what most uh, check and loan places were going through so with that we, we didn't realize it was happening at the time it happened before I actually showed up so as I was showing up we were dealing with that and all we did was we disabled the tipping feature and I mean the, the complaint amongst other social media sites that were popping up because every other day there was another social media site coming up trying to do something well everyone kept saying well it's my money you should be able Able to do it. But the problem is when you go back to how these servers are backed up and operated, you're, you're exchanging money. And whenever you do that, you're bringing in banking regulation, you're bringing in all this other stuff and usually what you hear from people that are against this is, well, you know, it, it's our right, and then once they realize that it's, it's not really your right to go ahead and do that, then they come down to, oh, well, Apple is charging too much, and it's like, well, why are they doing that? It's not because they're getting the full commission of that. It's because of the bank transfer fees, because you're treating it like a credit card almost, so it's just to make sure that they can go ahead and keep you know, the, the servers and everything on, on their end, so that way you could develop your apps and everything else. I mean, this isn't the first time I've heard of an issue of Epic. Josh Hawley, not my favorite senator, he brought up a good point saying that Fortnite was essentially the equivalent of online gambling, because when you look at their loot box, uh, their, uh, I, I'm probably getting the terminology wrong, I hate Gen Z, so I'm going to keep doing it. But, like, in terms of, like, their mystery loot boxes, he basically, and he actually backed up the research um, to go ahead and prove this, so I I can't disagree with him on this. It was essentially the same function as let's say you were doing in-person or online, uh, you know, slot machines. So, you know, with that said, like I kind of get it, I kind of don't, but when it comes to Epic, you know, they tried saying it's not, but when you look at the function and everything else, it was essentially online gambling.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and, and to go back to your point when you were talking about parlor and tipping, I mean, uh, Twitter just recently released the same feature where you can go and do the tips for tweets. Uh, and, and there was early feedback on that where we saw that people, because they were using PayPal as an intermediary, it was basically giving away the person's address information in the process of giving somebody a tip. And that's like, you know, that's a, that's a huge privacy concern. Like if you're trying to do that from a testing perspective, like that's pretty bad and you don't want that. And that's like the nice thing that you have from like a security aspect of of an app store or like the Play Store is that all that stuff is kind of kept behind a closed door. There's nothing that you have to worry about. And and so there's a little bit more security in that respect because they've thought through that issue. Um, When it comes to Josh Hawley and talking about um, the gambling aspect that's here, I I certainly am somewhat sympathetic towards that uh, in the sense of it, it is kind of bad because when you're looking at Epic, their prime demographic that they're dealing with, admittedly, uh, is like males that are between the ages of fifteen and twenty-five, something like that. Is pretty I'm much very, a,
0: I'm very unlibertarian when it comes to children.
1: Yeah, and, that, and, that, that, and that's that's my viewpoint.
0: That. Like, if you're not old enough to pay taxes, like get married, smoke, go die in the military, or something, I, I'm very totalitarian when it comes to what you can and can't do online.
1: No, and I, and I, and that's where I have some sympathies because it's not like uh, you know I'm 27 years old, and if I want to engage in loot boxes with games that's entirely yeah, entirely your prerogative right but like a kid especially a kid that's a dependent not an independent uh that that raises a whole different conversation because it's not just taking the kids money you're taking the parents money by extension and sometimes in ways that they don't even know like we always see that random story that pops up every once in a while of the kid that somehow accidentally bought two thousand dollars worth of something on their parents credit card and, you know the parents don't get off the hook for that. they still have to go and pay the bill. And that's that's where it's dangerous is that I think that yeah, when it comes to like kids, there's definitely a conversation that can and probably should happen when it comes to how can we market these goods towards kids in a, in a more uh, equitable manner to respect the fact that they are in fact kids and we, we're not trying to fleece them as a consumer out of their parents' money. Like there's this disconnect there that needs to be fixed.
0: Yeah. I had this moment happen. I think it was working. I I think I was working like around Christmas Eve and this parent came in and she was basically, she, she had no clue what her son was trying to buy. And it was funny because it was like watching a tutorial video happen before me. Okay. Here's my credit card. My son wants to buy a Fortnite costume. Well, you can't do that. You have to buy the points. So I'm explaining that to her and she looks at her kids. She's like, what are we buying? And the kid's like, we're buying the points. And he's, she's like, why can't we do it at home? And he's like, because we can only buy certain points here. And they intentionally do that with the cards and everything because the idea is if you can get people to go into the actual retail stores, they'll buy more than just that. That's why certain online features are only available through like the the token cards or whatever they they used to do. So he's explaining that to her and she's like, wait a second. So we had to come here to basically exchange money for this money that only works here so you could buy a costume for your character. And he's like, yeah. And there's like this moment of silence between all of us because we're like, okay, what else are you buying with it? And he's trying to explain how all this stuff works, and she's basically figuring out, oh my gosh, like this game is taking as much money from my son as possible. And I feel really sympathetic for the parents because y- you and I are the same age, but like I'm, I'm, I almost feel as ignorant when it comes to a lot of these online games as like someone my dad's age, someone in their late forties. So it, it's one of those situations where. I I get really nervous because, one, these companies get away of this type of what I think is unethical behavior in terms of how they target people. But at the same time, I also get nervous when they go ahead and pull out these lawsuits. And the whole idea of antitrust has been bastardized to the point of no return. Everything is an antitrust lawsuit now.
1: Oh, yeah. No, you're absolutely right, Remzo. I mean, the, the, the reality is, is that when I look at this lawsuit, like I said at the outset, I think that it is just a case where Epic is using it as a cudgel to get a point across their point that they think that the fee that they're paying to the developers is, is just too high. And I think that while there is a valid conversation that can happen over the commission that these stores are taking from developers is valid. And, and that should happen. I do not think that it is appropriate to leverage the, you know, the, the legal system, which really has its own issues right now, especially during the pandemic with all the caseloads getting backed up. For this kind of a purpose, it just doesn't make sense. And again, like you said, with kids, I 100 percent agree. And the way that games used to work versus how they are today has fundamentally changed. Like I remember when I was gaming uh, on the early PlayStation, PlayStation 2, like the, the some of the earliest Call of Duties were some of my favorite, right? Because it was it was a very story-driven campaign very immersive, very, very good. And for the time, good graphics, and you could really get engaged with it. But then as the internet got increasingly integrated into the video game industry and multiplayer became a facet, you started seeing the market change a little bit because younger people were getting involved. And now the games are more oriented towards, okay, a fast paced environment, multiplayer driven how can we go and get like the zombies uh, expansions and get people to spend money on that? And again, there's a valid point towards like wanting to, uh, you know, spend money on like expansions or something like that. I think that there's a valid thing there. But when we're nickel and diming for like costumes and stuff, I actually think that they borrowed from like the Asian markets because that's actually where you see that like rampant is that the customizable features are insane over there when you're looking at some of these uh, Japanese oriented games that have been developed.
0: Yeah, GameStop doesn't really sell a lot of those types of games. I think they called them like import games or something. Uh-huh. You had to basically request it from the manager. And basically, as I found out, it's like it, it felt really weird because it's like, okay, this is an online game, but you need to go ahead and buy the installation package. And then to actually play it, you've got to spend a lot more on all these other customizable features. I, I do kind of want to pivot for a second because you bring up something that I've I've spoken about on the show before. It's this theory that I have that the internet has completely ruined the fun with gaming because i feel like half the time the joy of actually getting to play the game isn't there anymore and it's more about just keeping up with what, uh, what i see with other players it's that peer pressure and being able to get the upgrade get the skins get the expansion pack so i could talk with my friends because i mean i mean with uh with, with one big example in terms of just you know the quality of games uh what what was it like uh, what, what, what's that cyberpunk Oh yeah. Uh, that game that game was I I looked so forward to that. And then I get it and it barely freaking works. It's like one of, it's like they just stopped trying at one point. and it's because they went ahead and pushed it out. and I mean, I, I got it on on Xbox and it's just like, you know, I don't play games often, so I'm like that middle of the road consumer. It's like it's got to be big. And honestly, if Keanu Reeves wasn't in it, I probably wouldn't have wanted to play it because I want to be able to do cool shit with Keanu. but mm-hmm. but it's one of those situations where as a whole, it's like the, these games are less about actually trying to create good content. It's more about just trying to get people addicted to that. And I even see that with my mom and her, her in-app purchases on games that she plays with her friends. It's like, oh, if I want more points, I have to go ahead and put more money into it. That's OK. But it gets to the point now where it's like it's not like you're really enjoying it. It's just that you feel that you've already invested so much money into it. Nonetheless, the time you're, you're kind of just stuck there. So that's why when, you know, when, when companies like Epic go ahead and throw out these stupid lawsuits, it's like, you know, you're going to lose against Apple because genuinely you're the one at fault. But then when they try and, you know, fight with people like Josh Hawley, who, like I said, again, I'm not a big fan of, and he goes ahead and basically says, you're operating casinos for kids. I kind of look at them and it's like, you know, as much as I don't like him, I hate you even more.
1: Yeah, I think Epic, again, when it comes to a company, they are the embodiment of Electronic Arts 2.0, basically, because Electronic (laughs) Arts got into this problem uh, a few years back. They actually had, like, the most downloaded post in Reddit history at one point, because when they did um, uh, one of the Battlefront games, they launched it, and they just put this massive essential paywall there. Like, if you wanted to play as Darth Vader, hey, got to go and spend some EA credits to do that. And basically everybody memed on them for it and they had to go and fundamentally change their model for the game as a result of that. When when we're talking about like the video game industry and how the impact of the internet has been on that, I think it's an interesting conversation because... I, I both love the fact that the internet has been connected to the games and I, and I certainly do see your point with, um, with how it has, has degraded certain aspects of the game because we've seen the shift from being story driven and developing like these characters and story arcs to more like how can we go and get these kids in an attention economy setting, I guess, if you will. Uh, spending as much time playing our game as humanly possible. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I think that there's, there's definitely some interesting things there, but my favorite part about the internet being connected to video games was that it was my way of being able to connect with people all over the world and learn about these new people and, and hang out with them. Like, I mean, I, I was professionally gaming for a period of time and I had a lot of fun doing that. And uh, I was doing, uh, I was playing a lot of EVE Online, for example, mm-hmm. at, you get really invested in that community. And I was just at a conference before COVID all hit, meeting up with these random people from all over the world at a conference, because we could do that, because we met each other through this game. And I thought that that was always the most fascinating thing ever.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, I've always been kind of the opposite when it comes to that. I'm extremely introverted. Like my game time is my game time. I don't want to deal with anybody. I just want to be sucked into this. And I, I don't know. Did, did you pick up the the Avengers video game that came out like five, six
1: months ago? Oh no. No. I saw that and I was like, uh no, that's that's Marvel trying to fleece me for 60, 60 bucks plus tax. Like no thank you. And
0: I was I was so disappointed. So I I didn't I didn't like as big of a, like, I'm, I'm more of a comic book superhero nerd than I am anything else. So that was the only reason why I really wanted to play it. But I yeah. also realized it's like, I'm not just buying this one time, more money's going to go into it. So I tricked my brother into buying it. And I was like, I, I can play it when you're done, right? He's like, you can go ahead and play it first. I'm still in school. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and, I, and I get through it. And like, it's a good game. I, I will say that. Like, it's a good game. And they really promoted like it's everything for everyone so if you just want the story type aspect that you saw of like spider-man on ps4 you're gonna get that if you want all the the mmo opportunities you've got that and then they basically just lied to us because if you just play the straight campaign what they do is they what i call it gamer shaming where it's like, okay, you can go ahead and do the campaign, but if you want all this extra stuff, you've got to do these requests and you have to sign on. It's like, I don't want to sign on for another live service. And it's like, well, you have to connect with your friends and everything. It's like, I also don't have friends that play this game and I don't really want to chat with strangers. I just want to be sucked into this. So it got to the point where it's like half the opportunities for the campaign are tied to all this other stuff and everything costs more. Like what well, I I keep seeing with this Avengers game, it's why everyone freaking hates it. Is because the the character designs. And I actually I I've got this conspiracy. They intentionally designed the characters to look awkward as hell. It's like okay, listeners can't see this. I've got basically like John Cena, Captain America. This is from the 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 Game Reverse collection of Marvel figures, and. As much as, you know, I got it because I like Captain America, but he looks fucking weird. If you don't want him to look freaking weird, you've got to buy like 20 skins so he looks less awkward. So now each time I go online, I see something from that Avengers page come up. It's just more and more additional stuff. And it's not like more people are buying it. it. It's really them trying to make up for the fact that nobody bought this game. So you might as well fleece the people that did buy it. And now I don't think I'll ever play another game from the studio. I, I it's it, I think it's some European studio um, that did it, but like I like it, it's completely killed all the fun that I had with it, and there wasn't much fun to begin with.
1: Yeah, I, you know when I hear stories like that, it makes me annoyed because again, I have no problem if a game wants to offer an ancillary good or service and charge you for it. Because in my, in my opinion, right? Like if they're getting more money out of their game that can get used towards developing more things for that product that maybe I want as one option or two, it helps them develop their next big thing that I will want to buy. Cause I like the product they put out there. And this is kind of like the theory of why everybody is so excited. Whenever we hear another GTA game is coming out, like, <laughs> They've done such a good job at Rockstar Games of building up the, the anticipation and appreciation for everything that is GTA, all things included. that uh, People just love that. And actually, in the recent iterations where there's more of that multiplayer aspect, it kind of makes me sad because I'm like, no, I just I just want to do the GTA things. I want to rob banks, take cars, and do all that stuff. Red Dead Redemption 2, another amazing game. Uh,
0: because I will has- be playing that game for at least another decade.
1: Continue. Yeah, and it's so good, right? And, and by extension, like The Last of Us, Uh, that that series and, and Naughty Dog did such a great job creating amazing cinematics within that game. Like, I remember when that first came out on the PlayStation 4 for Last of Us, and then I was just watching the cutscenes, and I was like, man, you could go and throw this in a movie theater. And I don't think anybody would really know what was going on here. It was just that good. And the problem is that those kinds of games are so far and few between. And I would, I long to see a developer do that again. But the problem is unless you are like somebody that's, that's like a triple-A uh, kind of developer or, or a really well-respected one like, like Naughty Dog, um, you're you're not going to have that be the model. You're going to have the Epic Games model increasingly appear where it's just, we're not even going to charge you for the game. Don't worry about it, guys, or it's going to be a really low artificial floor for the price of the game. And then we're going to whack you to know tomorrow with these microtransactions. And that, that really annoys me. And the reason why Epic cares so much about this particular aspect when it comes to the app stores is that During the coronavirus pandemic, we saw the gaming industry just boom, like no tomorrow. Because everyone was bored as hell. Well, yeah, because, you know, for one month, you know, whatever. Somebody can make up some excuse to do. But as we're talking about two, three, four months, um, you know, there's only so many episodes of a show that you can watch on Netflix before you want to go and rip out your hair. (laughs) And video games (laughs) offered like a nice medium where you could kind of get that escape that everybody wanted to have without having to compromise Your personal health and safety, and you could have that social aspect through the multiplayer function, right? So you saw uh, the PlayStation 4 and Xbox uh, sales just go rising like crazy. And they had the new consoles coming out in the fall. Those ones got sold out. And even months later, after their release, it is still pretty difficult to get your hands on like a PlayStation 5. Uh, You know, a lot easier now than it was at launch, but like people were waiting a long time. And as this mobile gaming industry is growing, it's actually one of the fastest growing segments of that digital economy. And what that means is that if more people are getting involved in mobile gaming and Fortnite is extremely popular, it has that name brand recognition, everybody wants to do it, that means more people are gonna use their game. More people are going to do in-game purchases. And if they have to go and use Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store, that means that they're going to have to increasingly pay out more money to Google and Apple. And Epic being the greedy game developer that it is, it's like, well, we don't want to do that at 30% a clip. And again, I think there's a vital conversation about what that commission rate should be, but uh, but again, to go and use the lawsuit and to use the legal system to do it is just so wrong. Like, I, I get it. But come on, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was uh, from, from Business Insider I saw recently, a, a couple other places reported it. But Microsoft basically announced that they've never actually made profit from an Xbox console. And I, I think for a lot of us that have paid attention to how these companies work, we all looked at it and we're like, the, the the pricing markup and everything, it was mainly make money for the stores. But even like Best Buy and GameStop, they don't make money off the consoles where they make their profit, at least they, with GameStop. It wasn't even from new games. It was from the merchandise along the wall, the the action figures, the shirts and that stuff, and the used games. Oh, yeah. I think that's where they actually made their profit. So like I, I wasn't too surprised of that. And I think it would have been that way, irregardless as to how mobile gaming um, really succeeded, because over the past five years, especially like we saw the big boom, especially as more, you know, middle income and lower income Americans were able to access things like smartphones and stuff like that. So the pool of people comes in and what they want is they want the best bang for their buck. They don't need to go ahead and spend all this money on the new co- console. But uh, going back to a moment ago, so I I think you and I both are on the same page that like Epic's not going to get far off this lawsuit. It just has face value. They're obviously in the wrong. They're just trying to save what they possibly can. Let's assume that they actually win. What are the repercussions for the industry at large if they actually get away with this?
1: Well, I actually think that it's a problem for consumers ultimately because – maybe what you're going to see is an increased variation for where like developers want to post their games on certain app stores, right? Like Epic technically has its own app store. And if this passes, uh, they could theoretically have their own app store that you could download. And I, where that becomes a problem for the consumer is that it's increasing search costs, right? So it's a lot more difficult for you to get access to games than you otherwise would have. So I think that that's something that gets overlooked in that conversation. That's one thing. And then two, I do kind of worry about... The, the security aspects, like at least with Google and with Apple, I don't necessarily have to worry about them being in any kind of trouble when it comes to data breaches, or anything like that, because they do have top of the end security. Meanwhile, one thing that we found out during this trial was that one of the people that was being examined, cross examined by the Apple lawyers, might have accidentally said something to the effect of that Epic was being investigated by the Federal Trade Commission for <laughs> violations of COPPA laws, which is all about child's online privacy. And uh, <laughs> that, you're like, people, you don't pri- see my face,
0: but my eyes just lit up. Like, what?
1: Yeah. And and so you hear that and you're like, huh. And you want to let these guys have a store on their own where they could collect potentially more people's data uh, to go and possibly have these problems. Uh, It's really uh, problematic. So I think that consumers lose out in a lot of ways because now they have to go digging around as to what App Store has, what they want on it. I think developers lose out because they don't have as much exposure as they otherwise might have. Um, and, and I think that there's a huge privacy concern that might come up as a result of this. If we have people that are further down the chain, so to say, uh, increasing the number of transactions they do that aren't as secure as let's say Apple's payment system or Google's payment system. So I think that's the biggest thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, what, what you just mentioned about accessibility to apps and making sure that you could find your stuff in the most convenient and condensed way possible. I mean, that almost sounds like the, what we're dealing with right now, streaming services, Like, Hmm. uh, you know, it's not even just, like, exclusive shows anymore. Now it's, like, basic shows, and it's, like, my my family still has cable. So if I want to go on demand and search something, uh, you know, the, the, the gimmick used to be everything is here and you can watch it for free on demand. Well, the free on demand then got limited to, like, you know, the last 10 episodes of a season, or maybe you get the first season, but if you want to watch the current stuff, you have to get a plus plan. Now they're at the point where it's like, it's 99 cents an episode. So it's basically turning like 2009 iTunes, which is terrible. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm moving into a new apartment. So like me and my family are divorcing who pays for what apps, so to speak. And yeah. I started looking around and it's like, okay, I want this and maybe Netflix and throwing some Disney plus and all this other stuff. And I was like, what, what? I thought the uh, the idea of doing this was to get rid of cable, not just to go ahead and create cable a la carte. This is terrible. So I could totally see how, like, if I'm dealing with that with TV shows, imagine how it's going to be with video games where the, the pitch doesn't end to buy stuff. You know, and Netflix is not inundating me with pop-ups at least.
1: Yeah, no, I think that that's, that is a valid point that you bring up. I mean, imagine if you had to go to just to find a game, let's say I'm a PC gamer too, like right now I have the Steam store, but like now your options there are like the Steam store, the Microsoft store, the Epic store. Uh, and, and I'm sure there's even some other ones too, right? And it's like, as you start increasing that number, like we start seeing with the streaming service industry, even if you have options, like people actually get annoyed at that after a certain point, especially because each one's going to want their pound of flesh. And they're like, well, you know, if I had to go and make a choice about what I want, I'm going to have my Netflix, I'm going to have my Hulu, and everything else is going to go and, you know, they can pound sand, which is why I think it's interesting that you're starting to see, um, you know, these combination of services get offered up, where it's like, oh, you know, you're going to get Disney+, Plus, you're going to get Hulu, and you're going to get ESPN+. Plus. So maybe you'll see something like that pop up, too, where it's like you'll have... Uh, you know, bands of game stores come together. But still, just from like a marketing perspective, you know how I can just see already how exhausting that's going to be for a gamer and how how tedious that would be for a a game developer because they're going to be like, man, do I even know if this investment to give you the commission for sales is going to actually translate into anything? Like there's so much uncertainty with it that I feel like everybody loses in ways some a little bit more clear and others in the unseen and in long-term impact.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you brought up something which is worth mentioning that Disney Hulu ESPN bundle that only happened because Disney was like Thanos. You know, they're collecting all the IP and streaming Infinity Stones. And and that brings up another issue. Like, you know, it was uh, in in late 2019 when Sony wanted to go ahead and pull the shared rights of Marvel Studios through Disney for Spider-Man. What did Disney respond with? How much is Sony? And everyone started looking at them like, dude, you can't just, you, you, even though you can, the question became, do we want Disney to own Sony again? Because they had just resurrected the carcass of Fox. Now the Simpsons are, are, you know, uh, simping out for, for Mickey Mouse, but it was another one of those situations where that, that leads to another thing where at face value, they're not legally, you know, if they were to do this again, they're not legally, I'm talking Disney, they're not legally a monopoly, but what we're starting to see is a big condensing of not only all this IP, but also opportunity. And with that said, you know, some people might say well just build your other streaming network. There are actually hundreds of streaming networks out there. When I used to go to comic book conventions when you could have in-person comic book conventions, you had like like I think there was a network called Scream where it was just streaming horror movies, like indie horror films that don't even get put on like Netflix and stuff like that. But it's like, you know, you we're all we're all competing against Disney. And at the end of the day, Disney's gonna win. So then it gets to the point where it's like, yeah, just because we can, Who's going to be able to compete with that? And and that's why Disney can charge so much for their service. It's like with black widow coming out in July. Yeah. You could go see it in theaters, but if you want to buy it right now, you got to pay 30 bucks. But then again, you don't even own it. You only own the access to it because if let's say you, you don't pay your Disney plus subscription one month. You're losing that Mulan. Ryan, the last dragon, like it wasn't yours. You were, they were just allowing you to have it for a fee.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think that's a it's an interesting conversation uh, slightly to deviate on that IP topic I, I, with with the pandemic. Right. Uh, the box offices took a major hit. All the movies obviously took a major hit. A lot of them had to get postponed. Uh, and, I remember- and I'm
0: still waiting for no time to die. I would like that to come out before I like die of old age, at least. One of these days. One
1: of these <laughs> days. <laughs> when when they were looking at what the future of like cinema was going to be, there was um there was this article I was reading that was saying, oh, you know, there's going to be this new uh, device that you can go and put into your home that would let you go and watch movies from your own home TV, and it's like, oh, cool, but. It was gonna have a camera on it that would literally scan the room and for the number of bodies and charge you a per per person price. Oh. And I was like, Oh my god, this is like streaming services, like on steroids, like imagine. Um, and and it is, it's it's a very interesting thing. I I I'll push back a little bit on the competition aspect because at least from the digital economy, one of the nice things that's emerged is that there isn't necessarily a guarantee. And a great example of this is, like, if you look at the turn of the 20th to the 21st century, you had AOL, Yahoo, Time Warner Cable. These were viewed as, like, the the big, you know, strongholds of the Internet that were going to stand the test of time. And they were worried about monopolization from those companies. Uh, Eventually, that turned into MySpace. Oh, MySpace is going to stand the test of time. It's going to be this, you know, big conglomerate that we'll never get rid of. Uh, AOL and Yahoo recently just got sold together in a package from Verizon to offload the assets for five billion dollars, so pennies on the dollar. And then uh, when we're looking at MySpace, that's a joke. That's that's a major loss since that went down south. And so when we're looking at the digital economy, at least the nice thing is that my 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 optimism is that I know that there is something that's out there. It's just a matter. It takes a lot of time. Like I don't think people realize that. For Google and YouTube and Facebook um, and, and, and all and Twitter to get to where they were. It took years. And it's not like it's it's so easy. Now I do think Disney is like its own separate, like evil, evil little Sith land over there where they are looking for these opportunities. Uh, to do some things. And that certainly warrants conversation in its own right. But I, I'm a little bit more optimistic, I think, about like the the competition in the markets. I don't I don't scare as much when I see consolidation because big isn't necessarily bad. I just think that it offers more opportunities to expose other weaknesses.
0: Yeah, I mean, at, at the same time, I feel like there's also kind of a renaissance going on for what I call the physical world. Yeah. It's like, you know, with, um With iTunes in the mid-2000s, everyone was already saying, okay, we're going to see the end of the CD industry. And while we basically have, what it did was it also brought about the resurgence of vinyl records. Vinyl records actually saw a higher percentage of sales in 2016, I think, than they did in, like, 1996, when people could still, you know, get get their turntables and stuff. So it's also that that weird possibility. And, And, like, with movie theaters, too, like, uh, regal cinemas in my area i'm in virginia right now regal cinemas used to be one of the cheaper theaters compared to mm. like cinemark and almo and when uh sony went ahead and pulled no time to die uh all the all the regal franchises have died out whereas like with cinemark for example cinemark is doing private screenings cinemark actually made a ton of money and this is a crazy situation last year when everyone was trying to figure out what's going on with the movie theaters they made like Fifteen million dollars showing Hocus Pocus, a wow. film that you could probably watch on TV for free, but people wanted to get out, have that communal experience, get some nostalgia. I, I went to go to Almo Draft House. I mean, Almo is another example. I think Almo was one of the few places that was almost lockdown proof because after everything started opening up again, what do you get from Almo? You get a cool theater experience. You get food to your table. You could buy alcohol. Uh, and you know, they, they, they were showing Jurassic park recently. So they gave out Jurassic park theme merchandise to everyone. If you just pay a few extra dollars for a ticket to go see that movie. So in a way it's like, you know, we, we have seen who's going to adapt and who isn't. It's like, yeah, Cinemark can serve you wine by the glass, but you know, if the theater smells like shit and there, kids screaming everywhere for this film, no one's going to go see it. So at the same time, it's like, yeah, you know, if we have to sacrifice regal to get better value and opt. Opportunities out of something like an Almo Draft House, I'm pretty cool
1: of that. Oh, I think I think you're absolutely right. And the other the other segment of the of the movie industry that ended up making a raging comeback too during the pandemic were drive-in movie theaters. Oh, I didn't even think of that. When when was the last time you went to a drive-in movie? Like I I can't even think of a time in the last ten years I did that. But you know I remember reading stories of like, hey, this drive-in movie theater is hosting, like you said, these classic movies really cheap really effective and and what you're seeing is like a shift towards like these ex- more experience-based kind of uh, events, right? For for these industries, and I think that's great. I think that, the, that that nostalgic kind of thing actually has a place in our in our future when we're looking at what people want. Kind of like what you said with the with the finer kind of cinema experience. It'll be interesting to see how companies and restaurants and all these different industries that were really hit hard during the pandemic are able to go and adjust and move forward. Because I'm not really sure or confident that like I know everybody wants wants to get back to like normal, but I'm pretty. Sure sure there's a significant portion of the population that's reticent to do that, which means that in order to attract that portion of the population, companies are gonna to have to innovate on the margins. So that has me very excited into seeing like where, where that's going to take us.
0: Yeah. I mean, with, with Alma, at one point, they were doing like $2 margaritas and it's like, I'll risk COVID for that. Some things are <laughs> worth it. I'm not making that myself, even though I could probably do so for like, you know, a few bucks, but whatever, um, you know, to, to kind of wrap things up, uh, i I hated epic before, but I hate them more now um what What do you think are the big takeaways from this at the end of the day as people look at this and think, Wow, could this happen again?'
1: Yeah, I think that the big takeaway is that it's it's just the start of a big war, more or less. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the gamers have arisen or the developers have arisen, so to say, right now. Um, Epic is taking its stand and it's, it's, I think, poisoned the industry in a lot of ways. So since Epic has announced that lawsuit... Um, we've seen lawsuits come out against valve, which operates a steam store and Sony on antitrust grounds. So they're, they're bad behavior here for on Sony
0: can't re- handle another lawsuit.
1: Yeah. Like one it's bad
0: like, day away. Only Spider-Man is keeping Sony alive.
1: Yeah. And it's like, you know, for them, I, I feel bad. I'm like, man, these guys really it's, it's poisoned the entire market in, in a way that was completely unnecessary. So this case is actually going to be very important. I think it's going to, you know, shape the way that these industries look moving forward. Um, In terms of what we'll expect from the trial, it's not going to conclude uh, for another couple of weeks, I believe. But no matter what the judge ultimately decides, we already know that there's going to be an appeal. This is going to be a big, big thing. So I'm personally very excited to see how these cases move forward. And I I genuinely hope that we're able to really tackle the problem of Epic in the long run because their microtransactions are are truly just egregious. And and I really do feel bad because it is targeting kids. And I want to see them kind of own themselves a little bit better and become a better leader when it comes to putting out a good product that they can feel proud of and not have people being like, yeah, you're fleecing kids to go and be the $29 billion company that you are today.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's one of the situations where it's like, you know, just because it's not illegal certainly doesn't mean it's ethical. I mean, I'm not, I'm not big into like cancel culture or any of that stuff, but there is like a degree of social shaming. You know, I always use uh, Nike in the nineties as an example. It's like, you can't just have like literal children, like stitching your stuff together for like a penny a day. Like you've got to have some degree of humanity in that. And and I mean, with gaming in general, it's one of those few things where it's like, you know, people, people need the outlet, but it's like, the outlet should make people feel better. It shouldn't make them worse. That's what I was always saying about social media, social media, should make right. people more connected it shouldn't make them hate each other more
1: mm, you're, No, you're absolutely right
0: uh actually I, i've got one more question i mean this is just like w- when it comes to like stupid shit i see online the number of people throwing out antitrust this or break up this or monopoly that oh. like y- you think this is a fad i have a feeling this is a fad but this has been a fad where it's been like okay it's it's over now it stopped being funny now it's getting <laughs> kind of ridiculous now you're saying that, but I don't think you know what that means.
1: I, I I honestly hope it's a fad because at this point, then it should be in its 14 minutes of fame, and it should hopefully be moving on. But the problem is, is that I, I'm not so sure that it's a fad. There's there's um there's definitely some frustrations I think that have popped up over the past several years when we look at the digital economy, whether that's from social media platforms or apparently now with the video game industry, these app stores and 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 whatnot. And I can understand the frustrations, but they're looking to these different areas for answers. And antitrust is just the latest route that they want to explore. I I completely agree with you. It's like, no, that's not the answer, guys. And you're being short-sighted because there's blinders being put on. We're just so focused on big tech that we don't think about what happens if we fundamentally change the rules of, of antitrust when it goes beyond big tech. So there's, there's a legitimate concern that I have there. And I, I, and I hope that you're right, that it's a fad and that we are soon to move past it because we've been in tech lash now for at least the past four years on like high level. So I'm I'm really looking forward for that to kind of like de escalate soon.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Only time will tell. Well, James, I, I learned a lot in this and I know the listeners have too. If people want to catch up with you and see all your work with young voices and everything else, how could they do so?
1: Yeah. You, uh, people can follow me on my Twitter account at JamesCZ19, or you can go to the Young Voices website, which is young-voices.com, and check out my work there.
0: Thank you so much. And folks, I'll make it easy for, I'll go ahead and include everything in the show notes today. So that way, all you have to do is scroll and click and go go about your merry way. James, thank you so much for coming on the program.
1: Thanks for having me, Remzo.
0: Folks, it costs you nothing but means everything to me. A five star rating interview on Apple Podcasts lets people know about the fun we're having, the conversations that we're sharing together, and uh, ultimately just makes me look cooler in the process. So it costs you five seconds, but it means everything to me. As always, I'll talk to you later in the week. Be good, stay safe, and I'll talk to you later.